let's look at this text. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24 and then 25. It says this. And let us consider one another in order to store up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exerting one another, and so much more as you see the day is approaching. It's often been debated as to who wrote this book. And I guess I don't know. You know we have to ask God when we get to heaven who wrote it. Many people say it was Paul because the language is so very similar to how he wrote the other Gospels. Not the, the New Testament writings, I mean the epistles. Some people say it was Barnabas because he was close to Paul. And maybe this is a sermon. And Barnabas is writing down what Paul preached in that sermon. And other people say we just don't know. And so I'm, I'm in that crew. I, I don't know. I think it's Paul. And so I'm just going to do the sermon. You think everybody say Paul. But just keep in mind, I have no idea. I'm just going to say it's Paul. So regardless as to who wrote this book, the theme of this book is simply that what we have in Christ is so much more better than what Judaism can offer. And you guys, on the very title of this book is called Hebrews. So who do you, think, who do you guys think that Paul is addressing this book to? The Jews, right? So we see how this book, all the Old Testament types and shadows, they're all fulfilled in Christ. And so Paul, did you guys say that name I mentioned? Paul is writing this book to the Jews to let them know that what we have in Christ again is so much more better than what they held on to, those types of shadows, such as the law, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, the priests, all those things pointed something greater, and that thing that was greater was Jesus Christ himself. He was a true fulfillment of all those things. So in this book, that's what Paul is addressing. So in chapter 16, some of the things preceding our text is Paul discussing how animal sacrifices are insufficient and don't satisfy God's wrath. But Jesus Christ was a perfect sacrifice that did satisfy God's wrath. You guys look at verse 19 real quick, Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he can consecrate for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having the high priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. So this is exactly the verses right before our text today. And so the title of this sermon is, How Should a Christian Live? And I got three points today, pretty quick points. Number one, Christians will be marked by love. Uh, number two, Christians will be a part of a community. And number three, Christians will encourage one another or exert one another. Look at verse 24 for point number one. Christians will be marked by love. Uh, verse 24 says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Having just taught about this gospel doctrine, how Christ is so much more better than all these types and shadows, we see now Paul is saying, now that you have this theology, how does it penetrate your heart? If Paul is indeed the person that wrote this, I'm sure he probably took an account, Philippians 2, 3-4, it says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit. But in lows of mind, count others more significant than yourself. Look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. So if Paul wrote this, I'm sure he put the two together. Because that doctrine is not anything new. This is what Jesus taught in the Gospels. You guys know Jesus' life was a very example of that verse. Romans 5 verse 8 said, But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus, in the Gospels, his life was a very essence of what this verse says, to count others or to consider others. 
Christ at the cross had his enemies in mind, which is us. And remember, Paul is addressing Jews. The title of his book, again, is called Hebrews. So the context, he's talking to Jewish converts, people who are Jews and believe in Judaism and not a conversion to Christianity. So I believe it's necessary for Paul to kind of address this right here because you guys remember, a lot of these Jews, they took pride and boasted that they were from the tribe of Benjamin or the tribe of Judah. And none of those things matter once you came to Christ because it, it wasn't just about Jews anymore, it was about the Gentiles as well. All joining to be just one body of believers. And Paul saying, consider one another because for so long, it had just been the Jews who were the people of God, but now it's both Greek and Gentile, or Jew and Gentile, I meant to say, joining this body of believers. So Paul was commanding the church here not to be selfish, not to be marked by selfishness, but be marked by love to consider one another. In fact, in the world, that's all you see, people being selfish. The most important person in the world is self. Even the good people do is rooted and motivated by selfish ambitions. What can I get from doing this good deed I'm going to do? That's how the world operates. But the church, Paul here, is telling these Jews that that should be the church. You should be marked by love to be considering someone else. He then goes on to say this in verse 24, in order to stir up love and good works. The meaning here is that Paul was trying to convey, I believe, that the church is not only consider other people, but also consider how to encourage them to love one another. So Paul is teaching these Jews that there is nothing wrong at all with encouraging other believers as you guys come to church or throughout the week just to send them to encourage somebody. Don't take them at all, call or text. But while you're at church, to encourage one another. So how does this concept work practically? Number one, we can see by love and rebuke, as crazy as it sounds, when people rebuke us, that's a form of love because people who tell you hard things, turns out they actually love you, especially in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that everybody, you know, to tell you about yourself, maybe your, your friend, but having somebody you trust tell you about your, your heart, that can be very loving. Number two, uh, showing love to our other fellow believers, that's kind of common sense, but doing that as Christ commands, that's how this verse kind of applies practically. And then number three, uh, by obeying the command, rejoice with them and rejoice, and weep with them and weep. So you can't do that apart from the church. So in a church, you're able to do that. And so we see those three things practically. So what would the result be if we put all those three things into action as a church? Number one, there'll be more unity among believers, not just here, but around the world, for those who profess Christ, if they would do those three things more. Number two, we would see more power in the church and the spirit beginning to work through the people in leadership. Number three, uh, there'll be more blessings in the world, not the prosperity blessing, but the blessing of God moving again through his people. And number four, of course, more glory to God. And so you see how all these things play out just simply by loving one another and to consider others. So application question, how does this relate to me as a Christian today? Well, for you individually, do you always have others in mind as you go out by your day or your week? Think about just last week. Who's the most important person to you? Was it self, or were you truly thinking about somebody else? I know it's so easy to think about self all the time, but as a Christian, Paul is saying right here, consider others. What kind of heart do you have? Are you marked by selfishness, or are you marked by love? Christ could easily did that. He's God, but yet, when he's on earth, he considered others who are his enemies. 
What kind of heart do you have? Number two, do you ever encourage others, believers, by pointing them back to the cross? The command here was that we encourage one another. So are you always encouraging people? Or are you more tearing people down? What type of Christian are you? Again, are you the type of Christian that encourages your brothers and sisters? Or do you tear them down? Look at point two real quick. It's verse 25. It says this, not forsaken the assembly of ourselves together. And so point two was Christians would be a part of the community. So the very first thing we probably can look at is look at this verse is the word assembly. The Greek word for assembly here means a gathering together. And it's only actually used one at a time in the entire New Testament. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. And so the same word right here, you see gathering together, it's the same word for assembly. So again, assembly means gathering together. So the word always means gathering together all throughout the New Testament. Now the next question probably we can ask is assembly or gathering together to what? Well, if we take verse 24 into account and follow Paul's train of thought, he's saying that we should gather with believers. Because he's saying, keep in mind, consider one another, specifically consider other believers. And then right here he says, not for a second, the assembly. So he's talking about the congregation of other believers in church. And it's very hard to encourage somebody you don't see physically. Obviously, you can encourage somebody by calling and texting them, but encourage somebody in person does a better job for their soul. Now, you guys remember contextually, again, a lot of these Jews, they were turning from Judaism to Christianity. So that very act would probably have a lot of persecution. As you guys know that the Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday, so Jewish customs were to go to the synagogue and worship the Lord on the Lord's Day, which is Saturday. But when Christ rose from the dead, the Christian Sabbath was now on Sunday, because Sunday is the Lord's Day. The day that Christ set apart from himself to rise from the grave, and that's the day that we're supposed to remember. And so for these Jews that were converted to Christianity, when they would join the church or be a part of the church on Sundays, they would get persecuted by other Jews. And this is why Paul right here is telling us, do not forsake the assembly, because some of these Jews were forsaken the assembly to not be persecuted by other Jews. You guys know kind of when Peter was called out by Paul because he was acting brand new around these other Gentiles, and God called them to act a certain way towards basically to love everybody. But Peter was on the opposite. Well, in the same way how Peter was acting, that's how these Jews were acting when they got around other people. I'm sure you guys probably did the same thing growing up. Y'all was acting brand new. Some of y'all acting brand new right now. So, But that's how these Jews would act. And they would get persecuted, a lot of them. One commentator writes this, a man needs worship that God is necessary for man's being. He must have something to worship even if it's only be a fetish, which is real crazy. The loss of even a, a false god is deemed terrible by those who confide in it. So essentially what he's saying is that he, when Paul was commanding these Jews not to forsake the assembly, he was encouraging them to worship God. And God cre- created us to worship. Deep down right on your heart, all y'all are worshiping something. Whether it's Yahweh or some kind of false idol you have in your heart, all of us are worshiping something. And that's exactly why God created us to worship him. But a lot of times, we're worshiping other things. Not only did God create us to worship, he also created us to be social beings. I talked about earlier how God is a community. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But God, when he died, didn't just die for one person. 
he died for a people group. And that shows you kind of this social, the church is to be a, a social gathering of believers, being friends, because we get to heaven, these are your brothers and sisters. We all have the same spiritual father. He created us. So how is it that like we're more close with our family at times than like our own brothers and sisters who are supposed to share all things in common with? Because again, once we die, your true family is going to be the body of Christ, right? And Paul was trying to tell these Jews this very thing, not to recite this assembly, because nothing more, nothing more is important than this assembly right here. I have many encounter many Christians throughout, you know, my time being a believer, they say that, well, it's okay to miss church because I can worship at home, or I can do the family worship, or I can sing a song, or I can look at a sermon on YouTube or read a sermon. But see, the problem is that if you do that, that's not going to be more encouraging your soul. Reading a sermon does not have the same effect as, a, as encouraging as you going to church and hearing your local pastor preach truths in your heart. Or as God created us to be social beings, it's hard to be social when you're at home by yourself. And family worship is not enough of us again because God created us to be social. How can you be social by being at home isolated? And again, it's good to have your local pastor preach truths in your heart because, again, he knows what you're struggling with. As he's preaching the word of God, he's encouraging you. That's not going to have the same effect as reading a random sermon. Not that God can still work, but being a part of a local church gathering every Sunday is more impactful for your soul. And I got three Bible verses to kind of support this, especially the gathering that's being social. You guys should know by now, Genesis 2.18 says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I would make him a helper compared to him. You guys know Adam had ease, but also we just need friends as well. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Again, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 through 10. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For they fall one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. So it's impossible to be a Christian, really to be an isolated Christian, I should say. Because all three of these verses, God created you to be social. And number two, God created you to be part of a community. The church is a community. Heaven is a community. Because when you get there, you have God for also access to all the other Christians. So why in this life are we always isolated at times as Christians? And all three of those verses told us otherwise. Look at verse 25 again, the next part. It says, as is the manner of some. I mentioned earlier that Paul knew that these Jews would face persecution from converting them to Judaism to Christianity. So, so many of these Jews, are they were converting to Christ, they were forsaken, forsaken the assembly on Sunday because of the persecution. Albert Barnes, a pretty good theologian, he lists four possible reasons why they could have done this. Number one is the very first thing I just said, that they would face persecution. So a lot of these Jews would kind of leave the church because they didn't want to face persecution. Number two, they neglected to do it because they felt no interest towards it, like many Christians today. They just don't care about church. Not that church is not important, but they would just rather do something else. Watch a basketball game and miss church. Sleep and miss church or any other thing. A lot of these Jews have the same kind of mentality. Number three, he said it is possible that some may have doubts about necessity 
of this duty. Essentially that, again, I told you guys that the Christian Sabbath was on Sunday because that's the day the Lord rose from the grave. A lot of the Jews still worship it on Saturday in Jewish synagogues. And so for these Jews, they thought, well, they didn't see the importance of also worshiping on Sunday. But Paul's kind of encouraging them that no, Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. Number four, he says, basically, they probably didn't like a, a certain preacher that they were attending to. So maybe a local pastor in their church they didn't like, so they just didn't attend the church. But Paul is encouraging them in that day and age that know not only to be part of the church to hear the local word preach, but to have other believers in your life encouraging you. So we see how Paul is encouraging these Hebrews that they need to be a part of the church. And they also need to gather so they encourage one another. So whatever the reasons they had, Paul is saying none of those reasons, all those reasons are insufficient because you need to be in church. Um, one of my favorite theologians, John Gill, states, and the assembly together should not be forsaken. For if you do, it is forsaken God. Think about that. Assembling together should not be forsaken, for if you do, you are forsaken God. Now, I'm going to take a step back real quick. I'm not saying that you have a heart attack, you need to be at church. What I am saying is that, obviously, you got to take your reason to count that I don't want you to die coming to church. If you're sick, of course, stay at home. But otherwise, try to be in church every Sunday because Paul is saying this, this is a command. He's really a command from God that we need to be part of the church and come to church Sunday. So how do these truths that Paul is addressing to the Hebrews apply to us today as a uh, Christian? Paul was reminding these uh, Jews that church is a priority. But for us, do we view church the same way? Is church really a priority for us? How do you view church personally? Do you view it as a gathering where you just come here Sunday, hear the word of God, and you just go home? Or do you view it as Paul views it right here? Where not only do you hear the word of God preach, but you can, it's an opportunity to encourage somebody else. Every Sunday, somebody right now is struggling with something you may not know. But the chances are you probably have went through something in your past where can encourage another brother or sister in Christ. But by you being gone that Sunday, you miss out on a chance to encourage somebody, but also get encouraged yourself. Because again, everybody around us, nobody here is perfect. We're all going through something right now. And you ask somebody right now, hey, how is we going? Chances are you probably can say something that's encouraging somebody. But by missing church, you miss out on opportunity. And in the world, you don't get that same opportunity. Yes, you know, you're sure you have friends or even other Christians, but like nothing's like that church experience you get on Sunday. Another question is, what right now in your heart would you say is more important than church for you? Obviously, I'm sure many of you guys would not say with words that you have a God over church. But right now, really think right now in your heart, what could you be doing right now or spending more time doing right now in this moment if you weren't at church right now? I know for many of you guys probably be sleeping or like me playing a game or watching Netflix. That's what I like to do. But what is the item in your heart right now that's more important to you than God says to go to church? One, one person says this, he who neglects the Christian assemblies is likely out the long to forsake the Christian church and then renounce the Christian faith. Obviously, we know that God is the author of our salvation. Apart from God, no one can be saved. So grace is what keeps us. It's not grace plus works. So a person can't lose a salvation. But what this person right here is saying is that basically if you see a habit of someone missing church, chances are 
of the statistic is basically that they're eventually follow out of church because they don't see the importance of it because not, you're not just forsaking church, you're forsaking God again. This is the fourth commandment. The third application question is, do you desire to be around other believers? Talked about earlier how it's impossible to have, be a Christian and be isolated. There is no such thing as an isolated Christian in the Bible. Jesus was isolated. Yes, he had times where he get away to regroup himself, to talk to the Father, but overall, he was not isolated, right? But for you, are you an isolated Christian, or do you truly love people? Charles Spurgeon, he says, for Christian fellowship is helpful to us, and we're helpful to others. A Christian is not meant to be an isolated being. Sheep are our family, and so are the sheep of the Lord. So think about that. Let's uh, end right here in point three. Christians will exhort one another. Look at verse 25 real quick. It says this, But exhorting one another as so much the more as, as you see the day approaching. So the Greek word used here for exhort, it means to encourage. It means strongly encourage. So Paul was telling these Hebrews to strongly encourage one another in these three things. Love, good works that Jesus did, and also encourage others not to forsake the assembly of the church. So again, Paul was encouraging these Hebrews right here of all three of these things. So this encouraging was to only happen in the public worship service. Again, for us at the church, we're all believers, so I'm pretty sure you guys are in each other's lives. You can always encourage one another, but it's different when you're in a church environment doing it. That's what Paul was saying. Don't forsake that gathering because you miss it. I like what Gil then makes again about this verse. He says, Paul was encouraging the church to, to encourage one another in prayer, to attend public worship, to regard all duties of religion, to adhere to Christ, and profession of him. And so essentially what he's saying is these are all things that Paul encouraged the church to do. So the early church would not only be hearing the word of God preached on Sunday, but the things they heard, they would tell other brothers and sisters to encourage them. So you see the church was actually being the church. How different is that from our church or another church you have been to maybe growing up? Do the believers you know in your life hear the word of God and tell you, encourage you to grow more in love? Look again down in verse 25, it says this, so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I'm not 100% sure you know, what the world Paul's talking about here. Like I said, I'm not 100% sure if Paul ain't writing this book. Whoever wrote this book, I'm not 100% sure what they were having in mind here, but I can have a guess. He's probably talking about three things. Number one, we know for certain that everybody's going to die one day. And when you die, you got to give account to God. So for us as believers, we're also judged, not by the bad, but the good that we do. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel, but the Bible says that you'd be judged for all the good you do and receive rewards in heaven from your heavenly Father. And so for us, we're going to have to give account for all the good that we've done. Obviously, God works through us to do that good, so it's not nothing in and of ourselves we can do. But Paul was, you know, if this is, the, you know, some case the Christians say that Paul was encouraging them that, think about the words you get in heaven. What are you doing now? Again, not to view this as a prosperity thing, why I do all this work, and God's giving me all these blessings, but the biblical, the biblical aspect of these rewards. Number two, you guys remember in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says that Jerusalem will be destroyed where the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. And so that day was approaching. And Paul is saying, you guys have to be encouraged with that because the day is coming near. We won't be able to go to the temple or won't be able to have this worship like you have right now. 
because the day is coming where God's going to judge his nation of Jerusalem. And finally, number three, the final judgment day when God returns again, his second coming. So whatever Paul or whoever wrote this book meant here, whatever position you take, he's saying that the day is drawing nearer. And these Hebrews is commanding them to love one another. Spurgeon, he being the mindset that Paul was talking about the general judgment, he states, does not every day bring us nearer to the coming of the Lord? Are there not many signs that these are the last days? Well then, so much more the more, let us store each other up in love and good works. So today here as a Christian, is your life truly marked with exhortation? Again, that word means strong encouragement. As a Christian, are you a person that when people come around you, you're always encouraging people or the people around you try to tend to kind of go away from you. Because that's true, that may mean you're probably a person that's not encouraging. But what kind of what kind of Christian are you though? Let us pray real quick.